All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time podcast. If you are interested in the effectiveness, improving learners' accuracy in the shortest possible time, explicit feedback would always work better than implicit feedback. Basically, do teachers worry about learners' emotional responses when giving feedback? Yeah, too I mean, they are, so they should, uh, first of all, they should, uh, uh, they know their uh, conditions better than I do their conditions, right? So you need, to, when you teach, it's not all about effectiveness of one treatment versus another one, but we can be, as language, uh, as researchers, we can be concerned about that issue. But teachers have to be concerned about other things also. They need to get along with their students. They need to be nice to them. Otherwise, uh, there will be other types of consequences. Uh, the, uh, their life can be can be hell if they cannot get along with their students. So they should check whether there are negative learners who give negative reactions to their feedback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast brought to you by Learn Your English. To those of you who are new listening to this podcast for the first time, the main aim of our podcast is to really deconstruct language teaching to bridge the gap between research and personal practice. Each episode is dedicated to our vision of education, continuous growth that is accessible, affordable, and appropriate to your context. Andrew. We also have a membership, don't we? We absolutely do. Our Learn Your English Teacher Development Membership, where you can join a community of curious teachers and educators who want to achieve more without having to plan and teach more. Leo, you like to say, teach more mindfully, right? That's right. And that's what we try to do with our membership. We try to provide content, mentoring, courses, and more importantly, a community, a community of practice to help teachers plan less so they can actually have time to develop more. And what we focus on, Andrew, mindful and meaningful teaching, better thinking, continuous learning, developing a healthy mind, purposeful creativity, mental tools for thought, and humanistic education. Andrew, if somebody wants to become a member, what do they have to do? Oh, so simple. Just go to courses.learnyourenglish.net and become a member right there. You'll have access to all of our materials, not only for this month, but for all the months that you missed in the past. If you want more information, check out learnyourenglish.net slash memberships. Hello, everyone. My name is Ajani. I'm a teacher in Brazil. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Olá, gente. Meu nome é Ajani. Eu sou professora no Brasil. Você está ouvindo Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. We are thrilled to announce our partnership with Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada 
for this podcast series on corrective feedback. A big thank you to Dr. Eva Karchava and her MA class to produce this interview series, which we know will be a fantastic analysis of corrective feedback and its role in language learning and teaching. This series has eight episodes focusing on aspects of corrective feedback. Corrective feedback is a crucial area of second language acquisition, and there has been a lot of research done recently to shed light on the role it plays in student learning. Seven of the interviews in this series were conducted by students in Dr. Karchava's MA class as means of assessment to do two primary things. Number one, to connect researchers to their audience, and number two, to have her students have a greater level of understanding and investment in the research they were reading. That's right, Leo, and we're excited to provide an outlet for this project and to give not only new voices an opportunity to be heard, but to allow for new podcasting experiences for many. If you or your institution is interested in producing a mini-series, either as a means of assessment or otherwise, please reach out to us at info at learnyourenglish.com. Featured in this episode is Dr. Yujel Yulmaz, a professor of second language studies at Indiana University, Bloomington. He teaches and researches several areas in second language acquisition with a focus on how to offer effective and especially negative feedback to language learners in both technology-mediated and in-person environments. He's also interested in the role of cognitive individual differences in the effectiveness of corrective feedback. He's part of the Second Language Acquisition Lab at Indiana University, which you can find at isla.lab.indiana.edu. You can also see Dr. Ilmaz's profile for Indiana University at indiana.edu slash faculty. Both of those links are in the show notes. Conducting the interview today are Heather Schutgart, Arya Rubinoff, and Farishte Kafafi Azar. And with that said, let's get on with the show. Uh, hi, Dr. Ilmaz. Nice to meet you. And thank you for being here with us today. So we are really interested to hear just about your background and how you ended up in the field of applied linguistics in general and corrective feedback in particular. Hi, Farishta uh, and hi, Heather and Arya. Uh, so how I got interested in corrective feedback. So uh, my, uh, well, to begin with, I'm uh, Yujay Ilmaz. I'm a professor at Indiana University in the uh, Department of Second Language Studies. Uh, so going back to your question, uh, so as you know, the main theoretical framework uh, uh, people use to motivate corrective feedback is the interactionist uh, approach. And uh, when I was a master's student at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, I was taking uh, courses from one of the leading uh, interactionist researchers, Terepika. And that's, uh, that was my first exposure to the ideas related to corrective feedback and interaction. And then I uh, started my PhD at a different university, at the Florida State University. And there also my professors made frequent references to uh, the interactionist approach. Those comments were not always friendly. So they were thinking that their approach, theoretical perspective, the interactionist approach was the rival theoretical approach to theirs. So their, pers their perspective uh, was sociocultural theory. And that conflict you know, pushed me to 
find out more about uh, the interactionist approach. And I eventually wrote a dissertation, which was motivated uh, by both social cultural theory and the interactionist approach. And in that uh, dissertation, I was uh, counting the occurrence of language-related episodes, uh, which are parts of learner-learner interaction uh, through which they show that they are uh, thinking about the language itself, the code features of the language. And I, when I look at those uh, language-related episodes, I, I realized that uh, the ones that included corrective feedback are the ones uh, that seem to be more beneficial for language learning. And I wanted to uh, know more about, uh, do more research about corrective feedback. And uh, uh, before I finished my uh, PhD, actually, we carried out a study uh, with, a, with another uh, graduate student, Doan Yuxel, at, the, uh, at that time, and uh, on, on corrective feedback. And then later on, I follow up on that study as a, when I was at the University of Calgary as a postdoctoral uh, fellow. And that's my story about corrective feedback, actually. Uh, you mentioned a couple of theories, the interactionist theory and the or the interactionist approach. Could you tell us more about what those are? Well, uh, the interactionist approach uh, basically uh, views uh, language learning as happening through uh, the interactions between language learners or sometimes between language learners and uh, more proficient learners can be native speakers of, of the language. And the, it values comprehensible input, but it also uh, thinks that it states that uh, comprehensible input, just understanding input, is not going to take you very far in language learning. So it says, it states that uh, learners need to pay attention to to form. Uh, so, and the best way to do that is uh, when learners are engaged in a meaning-focused activities. Um, so you kind of started your story with doing your master's degree. So did you always know that you wanted to uh, study applied linguistics or how did you become interested oh. um, in this field? That uh, that's pure coincidence. I was I was more interested in literature actually. Uh, I was uh, my bachelor's degree. I'm from Turkey, by the way. So my my bachelor's degree is uh, from American literature and culture and literature. Mm. Uh, I uh, and uh, the Japan. If you if you graduate from a degree like that. Uh, there is no clear job job area, right? So you end up, you think that you are going to be a literary critic, but you end up becoming <laughs> a language teacher. So basically, that's what it is. Uh, so once I find myself teaching uh, to kindergartners and middle school kids, uh, I started thinking about applied linguistics naturally, right? So uh -huh. uh, language teaching. And but initially, I wasn't interested in getting a master's in the area. 
So I got a government scholarship. And uh, the only available area that I can apply to was uh, English language teaching. So uh, that's how I started my, uh, you know, mass like uh, adventure in applied linguistics. So initially, I wasn't really uh, into it. That so was yeah. kind of an accident. Well, I was, I was like the. Uh, I translated a science fiction novel, uh, which was written by Stanislaw Lem. So I was dealing with those kind of things uh, in the beginning. And yeah, so later on, I changed my uh, area. Yeah, so another question we had um, was, in your opinion, what are some of the most important contributions that you've made to uh, the field of corrective feedback research? Yes. Uh, okay, uh, I think I my most important contributions uh, to uh, corrective feedback research comes from my studies uh, in which I invest investigated the role of various factors in feedback effectiveness. So, for example, uh, through several studies, I looked at the effectiveness, uh, the the role of feedback type on corrective feedback effectiveness. And I, I specifically looked at the uh, difference between explicit correction and recasts. And the, the results of these studies mostly show that explicit correction work better than uh, recasts, especially when you don't factor learners' cognitive abilities. In. And then uh, in some other studies, I looked at the role of communication mode. Uh, communication mode, of course, can be understood in many different ways. Uh, so you can talk about video-based uh, uh, computer-mediated communication or uh, text-based computer-mediated communication. And you have also face-to-face -face communication. In my studies, I compared uh, the effect of feedback, whether the effect of feedback change depending on uh, whether learners receive feedback through text-based computer-mediated communication or through face-to-face -face communication. And here also I found uh, computer-mediated communication working better than face-to-face uh, -face communication. Then I also investigated uh, the role of exposure condition. So as you know, uh, people, especially in classroom context, they, they they have the opportunity to to receive feedback on their own errors, but sometimes they are uh, they receive feedback indirectly, so they kind of overhear the feedback that is provided to someone else's error. So I wanted to understand whether these two conditions are uh, com comparable in terms of their effectiveness. Uh, and I found that uh, receiving feedback directly on your own errors uh, is more effective than than being in a uh, you know receiving feedback indirectly. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, I also investigated feedback timing, uh, and I'm still uh, carrying out studies on this topic. So uh, we when we talk about feedback, we usually uh, talk about feedback that is given 
uh, right after learner's errors, but that's not always the case, right? So sometimes the teacher doesn't want to give feedback right away, and he or she gives the feedback at the end of a task uh, or at the end of the lesson. So again, so I investigated the, the difference between these conditions, and I found feedback, uh, immediate feedback, uh, more effective than uh, delayed feedback. And finally, I looked at the role of various cognitive uh, in individual differences. Uh, the, uh, I looked at uh, the role of working memory, language analytic ability, explicit language aptitude. And some of my results were mixed, but some of them, uh, especially, I, I found uh, especially roles for working memory and language analytic ability and also explicit language aptitude. So there is some correlation between those abilities and the extent to which uh, people uh, learn from corrective feedback. Yeah, so this is a summary of, I guess, my contribution. Um, you mentioned um, that you've done some research on the differences between computer-mediated feedback and face-to-face -face, um, mediated feedback. Um, this is certainly something that's very important nowadays, where a lot of teaching is being held online. Um, can you tell us a bit more about um, some of the differences and similarities you found um, between computer-mediated uh, learning and uh, versus face-to-face -face, uh, in terms of corrective feedback and what seems to be beneficial and what seems to be have a bit more mm. difficulty? Well, uh, so my understanding, I'm not teaching uh, in languages right now, and I haven't observed anyone teaching languages nowadays. But my assumption is that I heard, well, as far as I heard, people use the uh, audio uh, audio version of the computer-mediated communication, or video and audio version, right? So they are not using text-based computer-mediated communication. I haven't done any research comparing audio uh, SCMC versus face-to-face uh, -face communication. But I don't predict any differences in terms of its effectiveness. So receiving feedback, uh, there may be, uh, you know, maybe uh, some differences in the effectiveness, but I, I and I, I guess uh, I, I read one study focusing on that topic, and that study didn't uh, find any differences in terms of the effectiveness of feedback. My studies looked at text-based. And this is, of course, a little bit in the past, you know, you, maybe you guys don't remember those times, but in the past, we didn't have uh, good internet connections and video-based uh, chat wasn't that popular, right? So it, not even the audio-based chat was popular. So people were communicating through uh, using uh, I mean, the, the, the uh, tools like MSN Messenger. Mm -hmm. Uh, so before that, there was ICQ. When I was going to university, we had ICQ. Probably you guys didn't even hear about that. <laughs> anyway, so it was all about text space. So the, the way I was interested in this topic through through that it was through that experience, right? So uh, I thought, can this can can these tools be uh, be used in uh, language teaching? And I compared their effectiveness, and I, I found uh, uh, like text-based computer-mediated uh, communication 
uh, makes feedback more effective than the feedback that is provided through face-to-face -face communication. And the reason for this, I think, is the fact that uh, the communication in uh, text-based, I mean, it's basically text-based, like written, it's more salient and it gives you more time to think about the language. And so also there's an interesting feature of computer-mediated, text-based computer-mediated communication. You can go up and down, you scroll uh, up and down, and if you are receiving more than one instance of feedback, you can compare those instances. Mm -hmm. And you can analyze language better uh, because of that. Uh, basically, it gives you more time, processing time. Some people call text-based computer-mediated communication as uh, conversation in slow motion because it slows down everything, right? So uh, you cannot type as, as fast as you speak. Some people can do maybe, but it's usually not the case. So it gives some space to the other person in processing time. And also it increases the selling. So uh, did I address your question or did you also ask about the pedagogical side of how you, people can use it? Yeah, you asked, sorry. Uh, well, I mean, my recommendation to people who teach online right now, since we know that text-based computer-mediated communication increases the effectiveness of corrective feedback, if they are interested in that effect, they should uh, move some of their activities to text-based computer-mediated communication. I don't know how they can do that, how many tasks they can move to that context, but if they can do that, it will be beneficial definitely in terms of the effectiveness of Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. I'm Deepika, an English teacher from India, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Would you also say that, um, so that's basically a form of written corrective feedback, um, right? If they're, the teacher is typing and the learner is um, reading the feedback. So would you also say that for face-to-face -face learning, um, that written feedback is more effective than oral feedback? Well, in my studies, I had oral outcome measures. So uh, learners receive feedback in a written form, in the written for, um, uh, format, but uh, the tests I had were oral. So uh, whatever they learn through computer-mediated communication uh, can be used in oral communication as well. So uh, of course, uh, 
we need more research in these areas to mm -hmm. understand whether this can be generalized across contexts. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that that effect is a, a, like can be generalized to oral oral communication as well. So, and I would make a distinction between text-based computer-mediated communication and written feedback that is given to your uh, like composition assignments. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's not that kind of feedback is not that interactive. But we are talking about learners saying something and receiving feedback right after 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 their turn so it is it carries the features of interaction pretty much it's just it is just slowed down conversation okay. in slow motion um so when we're talking about things like um messenger and stuff like that when we're talking about the the participants in your studies um that might be more aligned with what we're seeing for example students chatting in the chat rooms um, for their classes or in forums and things like that, rather than uh, uh, handing assignments, right? Yeah, uh, well, you may consider, yeah, they, they are similar to chat room interaction to some extent, uh, but in my studies, usually, uh, like in some of my studies, students were communicating with each other, but I wasn't giving feedback to their interaction. They were just communicating on their own. So I was looking at their language-related episodes, like whether they give feedback to each other without me telling them to give feedback to each other. Right? So that's that. And there were only two interlocutors. So that makes things a little bit different from chat rooms. So in chat rooms, you may get like many interlocutors at the same time. And in some of the other studies where, where I uh, looked at the effect of corrective feedback, a, a researcher was giving the corrective feedback. So uh, you can replace that uh, person, I guess, with a teacher. So the interaction was between a researcher and a student. So again, we, were talk we are talking about two interlocutors. Uh, the way, I mean, if you're asking, uh, if you're wondering how you can implement these kind of activities, I actually did it. My, I, I mean, I uh, implemented these kind of activities in my language classes some, some years ago. I took my students to a computer lab and I gave them information gap activities. And when they were, uh, the first time they interacted with each other, I didn't do anything. They just did it. But uh, then I changed the uh, pairs. And the second time when they uh, carry out the activity, second time, uh, I uh, gave feedback to their errors. So that's one way to go. You can, you can do something like that if you want to. Take advantage of the results of the research into and on the effectiveness of computer-mediated communication. That's one type of activity. You can, of course, then you need some computer lab uh, to do that. Uh, but I'm sure you can find one in your institution. Um. So when you did that, what was the class size, and how did you kind of manage moderating all of the conversations that were happening at the same time? Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's not it's not very easy to correct all the errors that's happening in the classroom. You need to uh, basically you need to uh, 
you can correct only the ones you can catch. Mm. So I was including myself. I guess, if I'm not mistaken, MSN Messenger was still available at that time. And I included myself in the in, in their conversations. And my windows were open. All of them were open at the same time. Like I had like, and uh, I had around uh, 30 students in my class. So imagine 15 windows. Okay. So uh, of course, I mean, uh, it's not easy to catch all the errors, but catching some or catching none, which one would you prefer? So I'll go for catching some. Right? So that's the idea. Um, so based on what we've just been talking about, it sounds like um, you would say immediate feedback is more effective than uh, delayed feedback. Um, is that correct? Yeah, uh, I I carried out some st- uh, like at least at least one two studies on that uh, topic, and I found immediate feedback working better than uh, delayed feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was one issue in in those studies, uh, which can be addressed in future studies probably. So when you give delayed feedback. Uh, you kind of give uh, the feedback all at once, right? Mm -hmm. So at least I did it that way. So uh, in the immediate feedback uh, condition, learners were getting feedback, uh, which was interspersed throughout the interaction, right? So they were, there was some kind of communicative activity and they were getting feedback whenever they were uh, receiving feedback. And there was some natural spacing between two feedback instances when you do it that way. Uh, but when you uh, when we gave delayed feedback, we had to give everything at once at the end of the activity. Uh, so when I compared these two feedback types, I mean the, the, these two ways of giving feedback, one immediate, one delayed, but delayed in a special. I mean delayed, but uh, provided in a special way, uh, I found immediate feedback working better. Uh, so based on that, I can say that immediate feedback works better. But there are other people's studies uh, showing that uh, immediate feedback is more effective than uh, delayed feedback. So based on that, I would say immediate feedback, uh, as much as you can give, you should give immediate feedback. But there are cases in language classrooms where you cannot give immediate feedback or you don't want to give immediate feedback. I always bring up the issue of, uh, you know, giving feedback during an oral presentation assignment. When the student is doing, uh, you know, performing like that, would you want to uh, give feedback to the errors? Would you want to give feedback? Or would you want to give feedback, but later on, like after the performance? Uh, so that's, I think, uh, delayed feedback in a context like this makes sense. Do we know? Do we know whether it's going to be effective? No, we don't know. We don't have much evidence whether it's going to be effective or not. But my prediction prediction is that it's not going to be harmful. Mm-hmm. So giving the delayed feedback is not going to be harmful. We can uh, still give feedback in those cases in a delayed fashion. But we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't expect too much from delayed feedback. There's another debate um, in the field about which is more effective, explicit feedback or implicit feedback. 
Um, and I think you mentioned briefly uh, that you would say explicit feedback is more effective. Um, could you say more about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, it, the issue is, is, is very similar to immediate versus delayed feedback, actually. So if you are interested in the effectiveness uh, improving learners' accuracy in the shortest possible time, I think explicit feedback would always work better than implicit feedback. But probably we should give a more nuanced answer to that uh, question because there are, uh, you know, classroom realities. When you give explicit feedback, uh, explicit feedback is very direct, right? So when you for example, the ones that I investigated uh, includes uh, statements like this. So don't say it like that. Say it this way, kind of feedback. So it's very direct. And people may consider it impolite, depending on the, uh, like, but depending on what, what type of culture they are coming from. They may consider that kind of feedback impolite, or they they may uh, be frustrated after getting uh, feedback, embarrassed after getting feedback like this. I always remember an instance uh, from my own teaching when I was teaching in Sakarya University in Turkey. Uh, I was teaching English, just to be funny. I made a buzzer sound like the ones you hear in. Uh, student made an error and I made that buzzer sound uh, like the ones you hear in NBA games and time is up and yeah I mean all the other people like the people who didn't feed, uh, receive feedback uh, laughed but the other one uh, got really offended right so the one that received feedback got really offended in uh, she didn't want to uh, participate in classroom discussions after that point. Uh, so I, okay, so this is, I mean, I, I don't think this is just, uh, uh, you know, uh, just something that happened to me. It can happen to everyone. And uh, it's a common situation, I would say. Most teachers will be scared of this kind of, like, uh, these kind of situations, right? So uh, there may be other negative effects of uh, explicit feedback. So it's time consuming. So the ones I looked at were not, were not including like things like metalinguistic rules. But if you also want to include some metalinguistic rule in your feedback, and you give like 10 of those feedback instances in each of your lessons, uh, think about the time it's going to cost you, right? So another disadvantage of giving explicit explicit feedback and also it may be the case that you are uh, you want that you 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 want to focus on uh, communication in meaning in your classroom so you have some content you want to cover that content in your classroom when you give explicit feedback you always run the risk of getting metalinguistic questions from your students because they want to know why they are why their production is erroneous right they will ask questions so you may consider this a good thing but it all depends on your uh, the purposes of your class uh, for your uh, class so if you think that 
uh, this is going to be a distraction to you uh, when you have to deal with this issue as well. So when you consider all these things, uh, it's hard to say that we should go for explicit feedback no, no matter what. So explicit, we should give explicit feedback, I would say, uh, as long as circumstances permit. Right. So that's what I can say about uh, my position. So explicit, my research shows explicit feedback works better than implicit feedback. But I cannot recommend giving explicit feedback uh, under all circumstances. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I know in my own teaching and for other teachers I've talked to, I think um, learners' emotional reactions is something that really concerns teachers about giving feedback. Do you have anything to say to teachers about that? Do you think teachers worry about this too much or an appropriate amount? Um, should teachers be more forthcoming with feedback or are they right to be cautious? Well, they should, first of all, I mean, when maybe I should say something more general about my, well, the things that I'm saying here. So uh, giving advice based on uh, experimental studies is always tricky, right? So we do this research under controlled conditions. So we, ne we can never be sure that what we are finding is going to be uh, generalized, can be generalized to uh, classroom. Teachers should approach these ed uh, pieces of advice uh, with some caution and probably use these things things to, to confirm in their own situations, in their uh, classroom uh, context. So uh, I forgot what question was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fine. Just um, about basically do teachers worry about learners' emotional responses when giving feedback? Yeah, I mean, they are, so thank you very much for reminding me the question. So they should, uh, first of all, they should, uh, uh, they know their uh, conditions better than I do their conditions, right? So uh, you need, to, when you teach, it's not all about effectiveness of uh, one treatment versus another one, but we can be, as language, uh, as researchers, we can be concerned about that issue. But teachers have to concern, have to be concerned about other things also. They need to get along with their students. They need to be nice to them. Otherwise, uh, there will be other types of consequences. Uh, the, uh, their life can be can be hell if they cannot uh, get along with their students. So uh, they should check whether there are negative learners who give negative reactions to their feedback in their classrooms. If if it seems like the students are welcoming all the uh, explicit feedback from the from the teachers, they should keep going, like, keep on giving uh, explicit feedback. Otherwise, they should probably choose implicit types of feedback. Or another strategy uh, under those situations is to give explicit feedback in the beginning of the classroom, and then go on with implicit. Uh, instances of feedback, implicit feedback. The salience that is created with the explicit feedback, I think will be carried over to implicit instances. And implicit feedback in that context will be also as effective uh, as explicit feedback. So another uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. But 
they can always go for more implicit types of feedback. Um, so obviously there's a lot of differences, um, as you've said, between um, research, research on corrective feedback and actually putting corrective feedback into use in a classroom setting. Um, for people who are, aren't really familiar with research and they want to go out and read papers um, by people like you who do a lot of research on corrective feedback, what are some things to keep in mind when they're reading these papers and in terms of should you take everything that's there quite literally and try to apply everything that you're reading or is there certain things that should be taken with a grain of salt? Yeah, that's, that's very important. So actually the question is, should teachers, we, we always blame teachers for not knowing research in, like, in language teaching, right? But I don't know whether that's a realistic expectation. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't want to discourage uh, language teachers from learning more about uh, specific language teaching techniques. Uh, and if they are, I mean, it's, it's really nice if they are if they are doing that. Uh, but if they are uh, just teaching, and I know how, like, under what conditions teaching is done, it's uh, sometimes you have heavy teaching duties. So I think it would be unrealistic to expect all uh, language teachers uh, to uh, read papers on corrective feedback. But of course, we would like teachers to be informed about uh, the results of our research. So how can we do that? Maybe language coordinators can do this. People who, who do not have heavy teaching duties can read about uh, this, lit this literature and then they can pass the results of their uh, investigations onto the teachers through maybe in-service training workshops. And of course, when they do, uh, when they do, when when they read about this literature, depending on their background, uh, they may go to more technical readings or less technical readings. So there are there are lots of state of the art kind of articles reviewing the reviewing the results of the research uh, on this area. Uh, they can they can read those articles, but even some of those can be very technical because they are not written for language teachers. Uh, probably they should choose the ones that are written for language teachers. They, there are not many of those, uh, I would say, but one, for example, one specific uh, chapter I found uh, was in Shintani and Ellis's, uh, Ellis's book. Uh, the name of the book is Exploring Pedagogy Through Second Language Acquisition. So, for example, this, they can use an article like this as their starting point. And if they are more interested in this research, then uh, they can check the references and they read the ones they like. And okay, again, you know, uh, after uh, learning about the literature, after being informed about uh, the reported findings, findings uh, reported in those articles, I recommend teachers to treat those findings as claims to be tested in their own teaching context, right? So for example, I'm talking about explicit feedback being better than implicit feedback, but they should uh, carry out a small scale study, like maybe some kind of action research in their own context. It doesn't have to be, they don't have to have very elaborate measures to test these claims, but just, uh, they can just, play with these ideas and experiment with these ideas in their own context. 
and they can create their own knowledge, basically, the things that work best for themselves. Uh, those are the most valuable. Uh, that's the most valuable type of knowledge, I would say. That was good advice. I'm going to remember that in my teaching. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to do a you know, full scale study, uh, but you can still experiment with those ideas. You know, just uh, give explicit feedback and check what the reaction of your student is. Right? So, and then compare it to an implicit feedback. Are they comparable in their effectiveness? Are they comparable in the in the way they lead to negative emotions? And then you make your mind about which one to choose next. Thank you, Dr. Yilmaz. Uh, thank you for the precious information. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It was fun to talk about my research. Yeah, thank you so much. We learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners did as well. been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.